0: Well, good morning, church. Hope y'all are doing well. Y'all ready cuz it's here, huh? It's crazy. We are here at Christmas. And it goes quickly, very quickly. We're not a perfect church or perfect people. We tell you that every week and usually we prove it at some point in time in the service to let you know that we are here cuz we need God's help and we need him not only in everyday life, but especially and, and learning to walk this Christian life that he's called us to live as a people. So in the midst of all the darkness, it's, it's pretty amazing that the greatest moment in the history of the world took place in the darkness without any fanfare or worldly acclaim. And, you know, when we think about what God was doing in the midst of darkness, in a night like any other in everyday life, in a manger, God himself came to live among his people And most of the world was clueless. Most of the world was clueless. Had no clue that God's redemptive plan from humanity, for all of humanity, was coming into place. And so when I thought about that, I was thinking, you know, this incredible magnitude, and Naomi mentioned in first worship as she was leading us over there in the glass chapel, you know that all of heaven was rejoicing and all of earth was just doing their thing. You know, and as I was thinking about that, I thought about that night and all that was celebration and all that was going on in heaven. And then the fact that sometimes in our own lives here, there's so much going on in the world around us that catches our attention and causes us to get so wrapped and involved in what is happening here that we don't even realize the big thing God is up to. And i want to encourage you today that no matter what's happening in your life, whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, whatever seems to be just going after you, that God is up to something. God is up to something. And a lot of times we don't get the fullness of God, what God is up to. I mean, even when you think about the, the shepherds. Even the wise men that were way off in the east and they saw the star appear and they, and through studying scripture and things determined this is God's Messiah that was come to the earth. Somehow God revealed to them that truth and they began their journey. But the shepherds were just having a night and the angels appear and all of a sudden they say, go check him out and they do. And it's like, man, you know, it's crazy how, how life can just be going along and all of a sudden God just shows up and says something that is life-changing. So I'm praying today that this morning will be one of the moments in your life where maybe there's a lot going on, maybe there's been a lot of distractions going on, and maybe you're just consumed with things, but the light's going to go on and God's going to say something to you to change your life forever. (laughs) That's the kind of God we serve. He's so amazing, and he loves us so much that he wants to speak to us and he would even choose to speak through a person like myself to to do something in your life significant we have a lot of people in our church that are going through a lot of stuff we have people in the hospital today people going through chemo treatments people just recovering from surgeries um it's all over and as we pray and we ask God to move on behalf of our family, sometimes we can get discouraged because we don't see the full picture of God. And so I share with you, before I even speak this message that God has, I want to speak something to you as I walk in my Christian faith. One of the challenges that I've always struggled with in Scripture was healing. I see it happening regularly, not only in Jesus' ministry, but then through the apostles as the church began to grow. And so as I watched and I've seen miracles happen, I've seen people get healed, I've definitely seen it. I've been a part of them prayers. I'm not saying it was me, but I've been a part of those prayers where people were healed. But I've been through, I'm I'm just telling you right now, I would be imagine if I would put a stat on it, probably 10 to one, if not greater, of praying for healing and nothing happens than the ones that something happens, right? And so through that prayer and study in the word of God, what I noticed something as God's been helping me understand things is that when jesus was going through the gospel their message and and talking to people it often refers to the fact that he was moved with compassion and he healed people he saw their brokenness and he 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 touched them but oftentimes he says don't go tell anybody keep it on the download just go on change your life but um, it's not what it's about and what we find is people get all infatuated with the healing they talk about it everywhere, and so other people come to Jesus for healing. And as I watch that and, and I see that, what happens even today, please please hear me right when I speak to you, because I'm just going to say it straight out, and I hope you receive it with God's help. Um, what I've seen happen in the church even is if somebody gets healed or a couple of people get healed, all of a sudden people are inviting people to come to get healed, So we're really quick to respond when God's moving, like, you need to be healed, come and your life will be better, And, and healing is for the moment. But very few of us will, if a life is changed, and we're not out there inviting people to come and meet Jesus, because he wants to transform their life, but we're quick to talk to all of our broken friends to get them physically touched. And when people that have the gift of healing begin to do ministry, a lot of times even those in the church will flock to those people to get healing. Now, I'm not against healing or people that heal. Please hear me right. But at the same time, we're, we're running off wanting a touch, and, and every physical healing is temporary, and you're going to die anyway, right? So what I'm saying is, as I've sorted through this in praying, God does move, but oftentimes He doesn't choose to miraculously heal, that does not mean he's not up to something. God is up to something, and he's always working. And so I want to encourage you in that, that as we as a congregation deal with our brokenness, some people in our family will not have their family member for Christmas for the first time. This Christmas season is very different from them, for them. We have spouses alone, families alone, children that are gone families without a child. We have all that going on here. We have another family that is facing two families that are facing losing their child. Anytime. And so as we navigate through those things, I'm not here to uh, discourage or put a damper on things. I'm saying, church, can we focus on the main thing, which is the Lord of glory, and let God do what he's doing, and let him, allow him to work through the brokenness, to bring about the the true healing of the heart and the soul of kingdom work and the purpose of God's glory, and let us begin to pray for a move of God in that area, and I believe when we do that, healings take place because we pursue Jesus, not because we pursue healing. me, Because when you see what was happening in the church and the move and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the church was out preaching Jesus. Healings were a byproduct. They weren't the main source. So let's make Jesus the main source of everything and then let God do his work. And then he can accomplish great things in his kingdom. So... On this Sunday, the fourth Sunday of Advent, and the topic of this Sunday is love, we know that God loves us, for God so loved the world that he gave. I mean, this incredible love is what this was all about. And so as we back up and we go back over the last four weeks coming into today, and here we God's having us talk to you about Nehemiah in love and all this, and, and it's like, how does all of this mesh together in God's perfect plan? He does everything well, even... Through our feeble attempts, he's able to accomplish things. And what I love about him, God I mean, is that he will always, always do something when the door is open for him to do it. But he's looking for a volunteer to open the door. He's looking for a volunteer to open the door. Remember what Jesus said to the church? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That wasn't to the lost world. Remember who the letter was to. It was to the church. Revelation 3. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I will come in. We'll have this fellowship together. That's what he told us. And so church, what we need to do is open the door and let God have his way. We can do church without him. We can do a spiritual life without him. We can do spiritual disciplines without him. We can function. We can sing. We can play instruments. I can preach. We can talk. We can read scriptures without him. But he's asking us to let him in and then for us to respond with and through and by him, not simply invite him to be part of our spiritual journey. He is our spiritual journey. And until the church gets the focus of who he is and what he's all about, nothing's going to get accomplished with any eternal value. And so when we look at what Nehemiah is doing, I love him, as you know, and I'm saying it every week and I want to continue to say it. He was not a prophet. He was not a priest. He was not of the royal lineage. He was a man, just a guy. And when he saw a brokenness and a need, he prayed and asked God to do something. And he asked God to make him be the one that he used to do it. So he volunteered. He regularly prayed. He brought all of his issues to God. He had conflict all the time. He had people talking about him all the time. He had issues with people regularly. People. It's the way it is. He assesses the situation as we were talking about last week and he's looking at the wall and it's halfway up and it's building but there's these low spots. There's these issues that are there and he puts people with swords and spears and bows and armor in those low places saying we got to protect our vulnerable areas and then he tells them don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember, go and fight. Remember the Lord who is righteous and great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. This fight isn't just about you. It's about everyone around you. And your life matters and it impacts people. Nehemiah chapter 5, as we navigate through this, there had been regular conflict all the time, right? Challenges from the enemy, as we've been reading. All the way from chapter 2, when he makes his journey come, there's these these guys that were opposing him. Uh, Tobiah was one of them. And uh, those guys that were there, and the, the opposition grew against him, right? And we know this. So the walls come in together. We already knew, as we read earlier, that it was halfway up, but there was no gates or anything, but the work was going on. But the people were trying to fight them out there on the outside, and then the people inside that were tired from the work began to complain and moan, and they're hurting, and they feel overwhelmed by the work. Well, what's happened was this community of brokenness was now beginning to work together. Remember, Nehemiah assigned to them sections by group and families, and they're now working side by side and bringing together some order. So as this order begins to come up, and Nehemiah is facing issues, all of a sudden within, remember when we read in, I think it's chapter 4, it might be chapter 3, when the people started to complain like the outsiders did. Now there's another issue within. We're not talking about outsiders now, within. As things begin to come together and people see order, they recognize brokenness within themselves. And they come to them and they're like, hey, Nehemiah, we're being oppressed by our own people. Those that have means are oppressing the poor and they're taking their land and they're putting a. Um, they're, they're buying their debts and charging them huge interests and they're taking their children as a result and selling them into slavery. We're not talking about the enemy. We're talking about our own people. All of a sudden, Nehemiah steps back and he's like, what in the world? I'm here to work on a wall and this dysfunction, recognizing the enemies out there, and now he's like, you got a problem within the walls. You got a lot of dysfunction happening here people that view each other for a means of use. That you're here to meet my need. What can I do with you that will make my life better? And all of a sudden, he's like, oh, we've got a problem. Order needs to be restored within the community, not just a physical boundary, not just protection that's out here, but we need some order within the community. We need some changes that need to happen within the people living together. Hey, church, I think we need to hear something here. He's like, there's so much dysfunction within. We can't even function as a community. Not only have we been physically living in brokenness, but we've brought that brokenness and we've allowed it to be part of our lives and our interaction with one another. And so he addresses it. And he says, this is not the way we're supposed to live. We're brothers and sisters. That's what he's telling them. Like, what are you doing? Man, God help us in the church that run our mouth about people in the church, that gossip and backbite and talk about them and use them for our gain and for our purpose. Forgive us, God, for that's the mess that we are. And it's no wonder the church is in the condition it is today. And so as they're saying this, Nehemiah's like, this is not going to happen anymore. He calls all the people together and he calls them out. He says, You guys have been oppressing these people. You're done. You need this to end today. You're wrong. Therefore, he says to them, You're going to change and you're going to do it God's way. And they're all like, You're right. We will. They restored all their homes, removed their debts, took away their interest, restored their families. And said, we need to function as an orderly society within. Do you know when Jesus prayed the high priestly prayer in John 17? He said, oh, Father, make them one as we are. And he's prayed for us. And you know, we're like, we, we have a hard enough time within churches getting along. And then we have these racial barriers and social economic barriers. And we look at all these things and it's like, it's crazy, church. Look, when, when Martin Luther King Jr. was put in prison in Atlanta, uh, Birmingham is where he was in prison, because he was leading the marches and trying to get what was already laws, like, remember, 100 years before or whatever it was almost, that there was this Emancipation Proclamation saying they should be, the black people should be freed in America? Well, there was a freedom that was granted, but there was no freedom in community because there was still separation and and racial segregation and all that stuff that was still happening and it was like accepted as part of the culture. Okay, there's no way we should be uncomfortable with our conversation in the church right here because when we look at it, I I wanna share something with you. It's really important for us to understand where we are and what Nehemiah was addressing in his day because when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was in prison, he received a letter from clergy. And the letter that came to him from the clergy were condemning his actions and telling him he shouldn't be doing what he's doing. And he shouldn't be acting and speaking out. Now, he never promoted physical violence or anything, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. There's a lot of words and a lot of things have taken to extremes like always happens, but he was not part of that. He was a man of prayer, a man of God, a man of action like Nehemiah, Right? And he was saying, "This is." He, he wrote a letter back to them. You can look it up and read it. It's a pretty amazing letter that he wrote from the jail to the clergy that wrote to him. And he addressed them and saying, you know, there needs, you have to take action to make things happen. And I look at Nehemiah and I'm like, you know, God's pretty awesome when I'm reading this context that I reread that. I've read that letter several times in the past and looking at that situation. And then I think about our church today and I think about, the, the segregation that happens within the body of Christ today. Now, I don't mean like we should have an equal mesh of all uh, ethnicities in a worship service. We're different. It's okay. We need to celebrate our differences. We, we worship God differently, and it's okay to do that. I want you to know I'm not uncomfortable with that. I'm not an African-American preacher. We don't have an African-American choir. They do it way differently, and it's awesome, and I like it too. But it's okay that we do things differently. It is, but we can't view each other differently. That's the difference. We can't see them as, as somebody else, but part of our family. All right? And so, like, in the walls of the church, though, we, we say, oh, I'm good with all the racial stuff now. And then I say, okay, what about the social standings of people? What about that? How do we view people that are different from us? James talks to us as he writes in his letter and he's saying like, men, if you invite someone that is well-to-do or has a prestigious name or position and you give them a seat of honor because you're looking at them as a way to get you, you know, he's like, hey, you got something wrong in your faith. You're jacked up. You better guard yourself. That's what he tells us. So there's all kinds of, um, dysfunction within the body of Christ as well. We view people that physically look different than us, physically function different than us, and we view them differently. I'll never forget the day in the old property that we were praying for Mark. Someone, uh, they're gone now. So I mean, they died. This other person has. So I can say this to you. Before I ever arrived, this person told the Christine that I would be the one that would bring healing into Mark's life. I hadn't even been here yet, right? And so as we're going along in the church, all of a sudden I'm told that I'm the one that's bringing this healing, and I'm like, whoa, okay, you know. (laughs) God, we're, here we are, you know. (laughs) Let's see this happen. So Mark, if you don't know him, if you're new to the church, he was born like eight, uh, 12 ounces, I think, the size of a Barbie doll. Didn't expect to live. He's like 30-something now. Very handicapped in our view, but he's a great worshiper of Jesus, and he would stand in the front of the church and the whole time and he would do this and he would, he would say like amen or he can say things which they said he'd never talk and, and Jesus and, and all that and he would stand up here. He can't physically be here right now because of his physical problems. I'm telling you all this because man i all of a sudden felt this burden on me like god i don't know what this deal is and i began to pray for him and and so we brought him in front of the church because someone said we need to pray over mark and as we were praying for him we had a group of people praying around mark and i was the lord just talked to me because i was like oh god make mark normal that's what i pray god make god make mark normal and he said mark's perfect And I just like, inside of me, I just felt this great thing from God talking to me. And he was like, Mark worships me. Mark loves me. I love Mark. And then I stepped back from that, and I was thinking as I was praying for him to be normal, that what a change in Mark's life would be if I made him like me. All of a sudden, he's got to function in this world like I have to. And Mark lives in this relationship with God alone, without any of the cares of this world on him and I think he's messed up and he needs to be made well and he's like got this amazing relationship with God that none of us even understand and yet I want to project on him his need of change because someone said I should and this should happen and this is what God wants and it was like God was like that's what I want right there so I, I wasn't even, like, at all burdened by that any longer. And I know God's going to make him normal, if you will, when he takes him to be with him. He'll be who Mark was meant to be. And I step back, and I'm like, God, we have so many messed up views, and we've been distorted by stuff, and we have so much dysfunction within the body. Forgive us. Help us to see things differently. Nehemiah is dealing with this stuff, and he's talking to the people, and he's saying, we need to function Whole doesn't matter if we build a wall or not. And I'm not on President Trump's platform here. I'm saying it doesn't matter that if we build a wall, if we're still dysfunctional within that wall. This is biblical we're talking about. So the, the wall continues to be built, and the enemy continues to bring challenges and attempts to discredit Nehemiah. And so I ask you, church, like we've been talking about this, and it keeps coming up throughout this process, and I, I want to ask you a question here today. Um, have you identified the enemy's lies and his attempts to stop you from living the Christian life? In the last few weeks, have you begun to see the sources that the enemy's been using to keep you in brokenness and oppression? Have you begun to see the words that are coming in and how it comes at you to try and stop you Have you identified those things? Have you identified the pressures that attempt to stop you from your prayer life, your Bible time, being in church, growing in your faith? Have you identified those things? Do you see it? Are we doing something about it? When one attempt doesn't work, like as soon as we get victory over something in our life, the enemy regroups and he comes back at us. He doesn't like, oh, I lost that one. I'm done. He wants to come at us because he wants to stop us from making the primary objective of our life the primary objective of our life. The primary purpose of your existence is to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That is why you exist. Everyone in this room You exist, and your primary purpose is to have a relationship with God the Creator through Jesus Christ our Lord. All right. The enemy wants to stop that from happening. So he wants to disrupt anything and everything that will stop that because he knows that when you make that your life purpose, you're going to make an impact on others because that's God's plan. And so he's trying to disrupt that. And he wants to stop you from having that relationship. So now just think back over this past week. What distractions have come against your walk with God this week? Are you stronger today than you were last Sunday? Or are you weaker? There, were no truth. there was no truth in the lies the enemy was speaking about Nehemiah. None. He lived a life of integrity and the fear of God. And in Nehemiah chapter 6, it says this, I replied, this is another response to another attack and another challenge to him. There is no truth in any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. So how do you respond when people are talking about you, when the enemy is trying to discredit you and stop you from living your Christian life. I'm telling you right now, the Church of Jesus Christ in the United States over the past several decades has allowed the lying voice of the enemy and the oppressor that is out there to have us cower and retreat into our own walls and hide amongst ourselves and just hang in here and allow all that garbage to go on out there trying to protect ourselves. Nehemiah, I love what he does. This is why I love this guy. He's awesome. Listen, think about this. Not only has he had all the enemy outside dealing with all the pressures and the negativity that was going on, the attacks, the physical warfare stuff, everything going on there. Then regrouping the people, trying to get them to see they need to fix the problem. The people come together and do it. Then they bring them another problem. We're dysfunctional in here. Fix that. Now he fixes this. Now he's saying to the people, we're almost halfway there. And they're like, we're too tired. We can't do it. I mean, he's like a man alone. And look at his attitude. I love it. This is what he says. So I continued to work with even greater determination. You're not going to stop me. This is God's work. I know what I'm doing. We're heading that way. I love it. It's amazing. That's why the apostle Paul wrote to the church, Be strong in the Lord. I read these verses last week. And in his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. You know, he's saying like, look, we're in a fight. Fight. (laughs) Put on your armor and get ready. Don't think you're going to just lollygag along in life and just kidding it in neutral or cruise control and just flow along. He's like, you've got to put some armor on because something's going on. We're not fighting against flesh and blood or enemies. We're but against rulers and authorities and an unseen world, against the mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy at the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. Okay, so the enemy's trying to distract us get us off target right so we got to determine to be standing strong and firm no matter what in nehemiah 6 we go on reading and it says this so on october 2nd the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun (laughs) church that's phenomenal when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it they were frightened and humiliated They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. Oh, man, do I love this guy. You know what I love about him? He didn't say, I finished this job and everybody knew who I was. He said, they're talking out there and they know God's up to something. I love it, man. And he says, we did this. We did this. We finished it. So before we do anything else, and there's a lot more I want to say in this, and I'm not done, but we need to stop and celebrate. What we need to celebrate is this this amazing, incredible God that we serve that can and does do amazing things and creates incredible changes in short times when we are willing to make the effort to make the change. Amen? Church, we need to celebrate that's the kind of God we serve. He is not intimidated, nor is he stopped by anything. He is God. And and Nehemiah knew it. That's why he said, hurry up and get over here, for God's going to fight for us Just show up. It's going to happen. And so now it's happening. And and, oh, it's crazy, man. So you know what I love about God's word? It's truth. And if you don't think it's truth, just start looking into archaeology a little bit. So I'm going to share a little bit with you from archaeology as they were digging over there in Jerusalem. So they uncovered a section of the city uh, in the walls that Nehemiah built. So what he had done is he rebuilt the walls of Hezekiah's day. So there were, you know, Solomon increased the city walls from David's, and the city became huge, and then it was destroyed. Hezekiah built it, and then it was destroyed, and now here, this is what Nehemiah built on were the walls that Hezekiah had built. So just get this in your head for a minute. The city itself covered 135 acres, and the wall itself averaged 16 feet in width. So it was like a thoroughfare around the city. So that's why when you read in the scriptures, and it says the king was walking upon the wall, He wasn't like doing this along some rocks, you know, or bricks like we have here. The wall was 16 feet thick. Now, when you think about when Nehemiah came and why the people were like, oh my goodness, man, there's just just junk everywhere. When you think about those walls being 16 feet thick, way up high, being just destroyed. And that when, when we were reading in chapter two, where he took his donkey out and he rode around the city and he couldn't even get through the rubble to get back in, he had to go all the way back around to where he came out. So when you get that picture of everything that was going on there and the amount of debris and all the stuff that was there, no wonder they were intimidated about the brokenness. I mean, when we look at our lives, sometimes it can be pretty intimidating. Like, it's so jacked up. How can any good come out of this? And the enemy's right there to tell you, man, you're such a mess. You can't get fixed. You know what your history is. You know what I'm saying? Like, the enemy's like, you know how jacked up you've been? It's so messed up. You can't get fixed. Just ask Jesus to save you and just stop. Yeah. So these people have been living in this dysfunction. Now think about this, church. This is some crazy, crazy stuff. King Cyrus makes a decree over here. Any of y'all that want to go back to Jerusalem, Judah, and rebuild it, go ahead. You're free. People exit, and they go back, and they build the temple. They're all, woo we got the temple. Yeah, man, I'm tired. That's good right now, you know. And Then they go home. A couple houses are built. Most of them live outside the city because the city's such a mess. They don't live there. And now they just begin to function. They're, just, they're, they're dysfunction. They begin to live in their brokenness. 75 years they live like that. 52 days later. It's right. Think about it. 75 years... And it only took 52 days. 52 days. For 75 years, they lived in brokenness, and all they needed to do was act with God, and in 52 days, it could have been different. Oh my goodness, when I look at this, I'm like, why are we okay with living in brokenness? Man, because our brokenness becomes, our dysfunction becomes normal to us. And then we just think we're just going to function here and live just we're just going to get by until Jesus comes. Yeah. Knock it off. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. God wants to build something out of you. He wants to build his church. He wants to do significant things for the kingdom. So, here we are. We got vulnerable places God, I'm going to just go right here on my own platform and tell you this. God wants to do significant things through CFF. God does. Not because of Dave, not because of you, but because of who he is. God wants to do that in his church. I want you to know that. So that when I say what I'm going to say, you get it. He wants to fix me, but not from the point of having me live a happy, healthy life for me. He wants to fix me so that I can bring glory for him and that I can accomplish his agenda for my life. So as a church, as we're going along, oftentimes we just show up on Sunday and we get what we need and we go on and live our life. So I want you to hear me. I told you I'm going to be a little harsh and straight to you. That's what I was just trying to prepare you for. So when we hear stuff like this is a problem over here, there's ministry opportunities in nursery and kids and here and here and here. And, and we just kind of like check it off like, I don't have time. I don't have that gift. I don't have, I don't. Right? We want God to do something great. And we want everybody else to make it happen. And we just want to enjoy the prosperity of what God's doing. I, I just want you to pray and ask God what He wants to do with you. I'm not signing anybody up for anything today. I don't want you to be guilty and feeling like i got to do something now. I don't even know who does what all the time. Okay? I, I want to be honest with you, but I'm letting you know that I absolutely know that we're vulnerable in places, that we're weak in areas, and we need to build that up so that God can do what He wants to do. We've got to get the house in order and take care of this dysfunction so that we can make an impact in the community around us. And this is what took place, church. This is amazing stuff. When we look into the scriptures about what's going on and we see what happened, I'm going to read the verses that follow this because oftentimes we read Nehemiah, and we should, the 52-day thing, and the enemy's talking about us, and they're all celebrating. That's awesome. It is. The apostle Paul, when he wrote one of the epistles, he was saying, you know, I don't even have to tell them what God's doing in your lives. He said, when I show up, people tell me what's going on in your life. Okay, the enemy talks when God moves. They know when it's God. Did you hear what I read to you? It says, they knew the hand of God did this. They knew. The enemy knows when God is up to something. During those 52 days, many letters went back and forth between Tobiah and the nobles of Judah. This is Nehemiah writing. Please hear me, church. Now he's stepping back and he's letting us know a little bit more of the details of what was going on while the work was happening. For many in Judah had sworn allegiance to him because his father-in-law was Shechaniah, the son of Ere, and his son Jehoahana was married to the daughter of Meshelam, son of Berechiah, or whatever. <laughs> so just before I read the next verse, think about this for a minute. That's the voice of the opposition, remember? That when he absolutely crossed the border to come, and they heard about it, they were coming against him. This guy, Tobiah, was one of the first voices to speak out against him. And telling him, you can't do this. You need to stop. You're wrong. Trying to stir up evil and wrong stuff, right? Now Nehemiah says that within the community... He had connections. And inside, people of standing and order and voice and position were telling me and receiving letters from him, we need to join voices. We need to be together. You need him. That's the enemy out there, you hear me? And he had people of position saying, this is what's happened in the church of Jesus Christ as well, church. I just want you to know. There's people of position and voice that are in line with the enemy and trying to get the church to compromise the truth. They kept telling me about Tobiah's good deeds, and then they told him everything I said. You see that communication that's happening? Trying to make the enemy look good? Like they're doing good things, he's got some good character and qualities he's not all bad it's it's okay right you hear what I'm saying he this is the enemy they're talking about and then anything he said they were running back to Tobiah letting him know <laughs> and Tobiah kept sending threatening letters to intimidate me So on one hand, there's these people saying, it's not all bad, you should join forces with him. He's a good guy, he's got connections in the city. There's some power here, there's some ability to make some things happen. And behind the scenes, he's also getting letters saying, you know, I'm gonna gonna mess you up. It's crazy. I mean, just step back and look at this church. When you read the full story, you'll also see that prophets came to him. There was a prophetess, a female prophet in the town. And she gave him a message from the Lord that he needed to go into the house of God, the temple, and hide. Okay? So it was for your... They're coming to kill you tonight. Nehemiah, you need to run into God's house and hide in that corner room. Well, Nehemiah knew the word of God. Church, Nehemiah knew the word of God. And he knew that he was not allowed to enter that room in the temple because God said not to. Therefore, he knew even though this was a prophet that that word was not of God and he did not respond to it and he identified what it was it was a voice that was trying to mess him up and cause him to be discredited in the public eye to stop the word of God and the work of God Amen. many in the church today man all somebody has to say is this is a prophet Over, we're running over there what does God want to say to me and we just accept it as God's word I was talking about healing earlier I'm going to talk about prophets now We have people that say they have a word of God. I hear it all the time from people. I got a word of God for you. Now, I'm happy to hear it. Don't misunderstand me. When they say they have a word of God, I'm listening because I don't think I'm all that. But I want to know what it is. And then I record it. And then I wait because God will always affirm his word and his truth with two or three witnesses. He says so in the law. And then the apostle Paul wrote it in 2 Corinthians to the church. That by the mouth of two to three witnesses, a truth is known. We don't just accept one word. Come on. That's why when I'm preaching to you, I always tell you, you go back and look at the word of God and what it says. The Holy Spirit will affirm the truth that is being spoken or he won't. We need to know what God is saying to us and not just take it. It's nuts. This is what's going on here, man. When you begin to see it and you look at what's going on, it's like anything to get us off track. Anything to get us off track. You know, when the Apostle Paul tells us that the the devil comes as an angel of light to deceive the world, think about what he's saying to us. He comes as an angel of light. He doesn't come with a pitchfork and horns and fire. He comes as an angel of light. What is that? Coming as truth. He comes as truth. But he's a liar we got people following false faiths, false teachings all over the world because we don't look for the truth. We just want to hear what we want to hear and these false prophets will tell you what you want to hear so you feel good about yourself. Okay. When the message is contrary to God's word, it's not a God, period. Nehemiah knew it. I don't care who you are, what your title is, how any other people come to you or not, Prophetess, That's not of God. Amen. <laughs> this is what Peter writes to the church. There were false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. That's right? right? Yeah. He's letting the church know, look at your history, man. There's been false prophets all throughout our history. There's going to be false teachers among you. Right. Yeah. right among the church. Nehemiah is like they had people of position in communication with the enemy. Think about it. Peter's saying to the church, there's gonna be false prophets, teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies, heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered how many things have been done in the name of Jesus that have just messed up the church. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago and their destruction will not be delayed. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell and gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. He is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. Yeah. <laughs> Look, church, we got to know the truth that we're going to live by it. We got to know what God's asked of us to be able to live what He's asked of us. Mm-hmm. And so, when we ask a, a simple little question in our accountability, did you spend at least five minutes, five days last week in God's Word? Did you listen to what God's saying to you, church? Did you do that? The reason why we ask that is because we gotta know the truth if we're gonna live in it. Amen. We gotta know the truth so that when a lie is told us, we know it's not true. Right. Because if Nehemiah didn't know what God said, and a prophet spoke to him, and he acted purely on the prophetic word, he'd have been done for. Right? right? Okay. We've got to know the truth to live in it. We've got to stand our ground and fight the enemy in order to accomplish God's work. Are you ready to fight for God's work? Yeah. Yeah. Can't allow the enemy's lies, gossip, spiritual advice, or any other distraction to keep us from accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish. I want you to know I'm not going to stop. <laughs> I'm going to see this through until I die or you die or we die. All right, It's like God's asked us to do something, church, and we got to do it. I don't, I mean, Jesus died for me to make me different. I want to be that different. I want to accomplish that agenda. The way that happens is to receive him as your Lord and Savior, to understand that your life is for his glory and purpose. No matter where you work or what you do, please hear me. Your life is about God's purpose. Right where you are, God wants to use you. He wants to work through you. He wants to accomplish his agenda right where you are. You are embedded missionaries of the gospel. You are light in the darkness. God is up to something at your workplace. Do you know that? God is up to something in the schools. He's up to something in the government, in the court systems, in the prisons. God is up to something. God's doing something. We got to see that. We need to be part of it. What are the distractions the enemy is using to distract you from God's work? Just pause for a moment. What has God asked you to do, and what are you not doing about it? How do you not have time for God's work? How do you not have time for His work? You do. You do. God is not going to ask you to do something you can't do. But he's going to ask you to do something, and you got to do it. Okay? What spiritual disciplines do you need to begin to fully equip yourselves with the armor of God? I asked you that last week. I'm asking you again. What are the spiritual disciplines you need to engulf within yourself to be fully armored, to be prepared for the battle that is coming? Look, you don't have to get ready. You're going to just be a casualty on the battlefield. But there's a war going on out there this week. It's happening in your life right now. It's going to happen. I'm saying get ready God's saying get ready not just this moment, this week get ready every day, put your armor on wear it every day get ready in in Nehemiah's book when he's talking about that battle that was going on, he said even when we went to get water, we wore our swords I mean look he's trying to tell us something even in the menial tasks of everyday life you've got to be ready you got to be ready, all right? So even though you may think that Monday morning, your job, your life is menial, and it's like, no, you got to be ready. I'm telling you right now, if you'll put your armor on and you embrace that moment with God, God's going to use you. That's what he wants to do. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for Jesus. Thank you for the joy that you brought into the world this day. For there is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. Christ the Lord. You're amazing, God. Thank you. Would you take your word, your truth, and embed it in our hearts and transform us, God? We want to build your kingdom, your kingdom, not ours, your kingdom. You want to do great things for your kingdom's sake, Lord. We want to volunteer to make it happen. Show us, God, where we need to work and what we need to do, and we will do it. We give you glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This altar is open. Please come if you need to pray. If you want to talk to God about something, if you need prayer, come forward. If not, God bless you. Thanks for being here. We'll see you tomorrow night at 6 for our Christmas Eve service.